the world of UFOologists goes head-to-head with an army of nine-year-olds, and then we travel back to my own personal ghost-hunting days. Did I really meet a Civil War ghost? What happened when the dark shadow rushed towards my car? And more importantly, was I possessed the day I picked up a pair of burnt pants? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys are having a ton of fun. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now, one of our live stream contributors. It's Spiced. Everyone give a round of applause to Spiced. Walking into Dead Rabbit Command. Spiced, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the show financially. I totally understand. Just spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Spiced, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed on out to Sweden. So the reason why we're headed out to Sweden is we're going to meet a young entrepreneur. That's how you pronounce it in Sweden. That I'm sure all of you guys are familiar with, PewDiePie. PewDiePie, the number one solo YouTube channel, has millions and millions of followers. He's a gamer, and he does a lot of reaction videos. Recently, I saw on the X board that PewDiePie has decided to try his hand at debunking UFOs. This is a really exciting time for UFOologists because, well, technically it's always an exciting time for UFOologists because you can get abducted at any moment. It's always super exciting if you believe in aliens. But because that government report is coming out in July. There's a government report the U.S. government is going to release saying, basically stating all the information they know about UFOs. And I imagine it's not going to be groundbreaking. It would be cool if it was, right? It would be cool if it was like the first first page is a picture of Joe Biden and a gray alien like leaning back to back like the twins movie poster. But is it going to? No. Are they going to reveal the existence of the Pleiadians or the Reptilians? <laughs> Did they declare war in Great Britain against the Great Lizard Queen? No. We're already getting a little bit of leaks from the report. And basically, it's they're saying some of the stuff could be Russian, some of the stuff could be Chinese, some of the stuff we don't know. And that's pretty much what that report's going to say. It hasn't officially come out. There could be a change. But if we did have access to this alien technology, or if we had access to the aliens themselves, a law written by U.S. lawmakers isn't going to change anything. The Great Reptilian Congress of Mark R. 9 isn't going to be like, oh, our plans have been stomped due to three senators. <laughs> we must reveal our secrets. No, you know, they would just bury it. If it was really close to the truth, these senators never would have been able to pass the bill in the first place. Like, it, I, it is fun that we're taking it this seriously. I think it's a huge step forward for UFOlogy, but I don't really suspect anything big is going to come out of the paper. Because UFOs are so in the news, and because people are finally taking the subject seriously, and I do think it needs to be taken seriously, you're having other people who normally want to talk about UFOs talk about UFOs. And it's great because we're getting all these different voices. Enter PewDiePie. He did a awesome dismissal. And this might not be what you guys want to hear and listen to a paranormal podcast, but you got to be open to everything. He did an awesome debunking of... Two huge UFO videos. Uh, that The most recent one that came out, I think, in 20... Uh, off the top of my head, I think it was 2019. That's been going around online. And then he debunked the 
Tic Tac video. The very famous Tic Tac video shot over, I think it was the Pacific Ocean, and they had that battle fleet. It, it, usually, like, Tic Tac video right now has been used the most. Like, they're like, how can you dispute this? Like, this is recorded with military technology and all these pilots. And everyone can have their opinion. But PewDiePie did a great... It was It's super interesting because he seems to be along the lines like, yeah, aliens would be cool and everything like that, but you have to... I don't think these videos are real. I do not think these videos are real. And using like his flashlight on his cell phone camera, and he, he's looking at this stuff and he goes, this is how this doesn't make sense. This doesn't work. And not saying it doesn't make sense by like how fast it's going and stuff like that. Like there's no way a vehicle could go 10 Gs. No, no, no. He's saying like the way the camera's working, that isn't what they think it is. He goes, it is weird. It is weird. He goes, the camera's picking up something, but it's not doing the things that the UFO community thinks that it's doing. It didn't go underwater. It simply stopped giving off heat. He doesn't go on it. He doesn't go, oh, it must just be a flock of birds or it must be a hot air balloon. He doesn't give an alternative solution, which is totally fine. So when you debunk something, you don't necessarily have to prove what it is. You can just go, it's not what they're saying it is. I don't know what it is. It's something weird. It's, I recommend watching the video. I'm going to put it in the show notes. It's like 15 minutes long. It's not too long. And at one point that I thought PewDiePie made, which was really interesting, was he goes, a new video comes out and it's easily debunked. And then someone goes, well, what about these other 10 sightings? What about these other 20 sightings? What about all these other videos? And he goes, yeah, but those were fake too. But those were fake so long ago. People debunked them back then, but the debunking story doesn't stick around. I'm paraphrasing, but the video sticks around. And people keep watching stuff and they keep looking at fake video footage. Stuff that is not necessarily faked on purpose, but stuff that's easily explained. And you start to have this huge catalog of footage that is taken out of context. And this is your worldwide phenomenon. Now, does it explain every single UFO sighting? No. Does it explain ones where the aliens actually come down? No. But when we talk about stuff like the Tic Tac video... There are explanations for what that could be. So I find it really, really fascinating that that is also going mainstream. I don't think PewDiePie is some sort of CIA asset. And he's trying to he's trying to be the lone voice. It's really interesting because I think it goes counter to what his audience would want anyways. If you put out pro-UFO content, you will have way more hits than you'll have if you put out anti-UFO content. And because I'm not a total party pooper, also in the show notes, I have a someone has made a YouTube channel that has 500 videos of UFOs. I mean, I just was like, ah, oh, they're probably all fake. Still, if you want to go through like vintage UFO videos, some of them are short, some of them are a bit longer. A guy named Alexander Gottfriedson. I wonder if he's Swedish too, now that I'm looking at his name. He put together five, he collected 500 videos of UFOs. So that's cool too. You can fish around on that. Spice, I'm going to toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind Sweden with these brand new chairs, these brand new PewDiePie chairs. We are headed out to Dyer Lane, California. First off, I want to give a shout out to three longtime Dead Rabbit Radio listeners, Lancaster, Barfy Man 362 and Chris K, because they all recommended I talk about the burnt pants. And I know they're all looking at each other right now. They're like, what? Yes, over the course of about two years, you three reached out to me and said, tell the story about the burnt pants. I had mentioned it on a past episode. I recorded an entire segment about the burnt pants, and I remember recording it, and I remember just thinking in my head, this isn't, 
I, I'm not doing the story justice. I'm not doing the story justice. I don't like the way I was telling it. And I mentioned it. I think the episode came out late or something like that. Like it, it was a huge, I recorded like a 30, 40 minute segment. It's a long story. I'm going to try to keep it short this time as you're looking at your watch. You're like, great. And I said I recorded it, but I didn't release it. And those three people over time were like, dude, you, we really want to hear the Burnt Pants story. So here you go. Because yesterday's Patreon was Steve Damewood, a close personal friend of mine. And I told him, I was like, hey, dude, I didn't know you listened to the show. And I go, I've mentioned you a couple times on the show. And he's like, really? And he goes, did you tell the story about the Burnt Pants? And I was like, well, now I have to. Like that one, We've had so many adventures together. And when I said I told a couple stories about us, and that was the first thing. Did you tell him the story about the burnt pants? So I got to tell you the stories about the burnt pants. So thanks, Steve, for this saga. Spice, go ahead and land this carpenter copter at Dyer Lane. Dyer Lane, if you look it up, it's actually in the Urban Dictionary online. You can find a couple of rumors about it online. But living in this area, everyone knew about Dyer Lane. It's a rural, rural, it's a rural road. Scooby-Doo didn't come into the studio. You know, like a country road. In Sacramento, in the suburb, subdivision known as Alberta, kind of near Antelope, Sacramento, there is a road off of Watt Avenue called Dyer Lane. And I always called it Dyer's Lane, so I'll probably move back and forth between the two pronunciations, the correct one, and then mine. But Dyer Lane was this old country road incredibly dangerous. I remember because I grew up in Citrus Heights. Like, I actually grew up all over California, but I found my way back to Citrus Heights when I was 17, 16, 17 years old. Citrus Heights, Orangevale is where I hung out. Antelope's like basically the other side of the planet because it's farther farther away. It's not right next door. And that's where my boy Josh hung out. We had Josh and Nick and Jason Campbell and, you know, like Liz and Kara and all that stuff, Jackie, Joanne, all of them. They all went to like Center High. They were all in that area. I was in Casa Roble in Orangevale. So this is far back. This is like high school days for me. So we're talking like 1994. So Dyer Lane is this road right off of Watt. Now Watt is one of the most traveled roads in Sacramento. <laughs> Don't look that up. There's no stat for it. It just felt like it when you were driving down it. But you kept going. I think it was north on or might have been west or east. <laughs> just look it up. Just look. Don't follow my directions. But if you keep going down Watt, eventually it becomes less and less populated. You drive past the Godfather's Pizza. We've talked about that in past episodes. And we get to Dyer Lane. You make a left. I don't remember that. You make. Well, I guess it depends what direction you're going to. Otherwise, you're crashed. Just look it up. But anyways, you turn onto Dyer Lane. It feels like you're turning into another part of the world. It's bizarre. I mean, it almost like all the traffic sounds disappear. You are driving down this country road. There's just trees and broken down houses. Now, some of these stories I'm going to tell you I may have already told. The Burnt Pants Saga I haven't, but I want to give a little more flavor. And I don't know what episodes to link to because these personal stories are hard to keep track of. But when I worked at Godfather's Pizza, I had to deliver a pizza to Dyer Lane. And everyone kind of laughed. Everyone kind of laughed. And they're like, ha, 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 you're going to die. I'm at Godfather's Pizza. I'm working with my boy Josh, my boy Nick. Jason Campbell works there, Jason Anderson. It was a really good group of guys. They all went to Center High School. I went to Casa Roble, a much cooler high school. They went to some busted old high school. We're working at Godfather's Pizza. So they knew all the legends. They knew about Dyer Lane and these dudes. Because I was from the other side of Sacramento. Like, Orangevale was about as far away from Antelope as you could get. And they all knew the stories about Dyer Lane. And so I'm like this new delivery guy. And I'm like, oh boy, my first delivery. 
My first delivery actually almost got mugged in Rio Linda. But I still kept working there. I was like, oh, I got a delivery to Dyer Lane. And they're like, oh, man. Now, at this point, I had already heard some of the stories about Dyer's Lane. Because people know I'm a ghost nerd. So whenever I'm like, wear a shirt that says I love ghosts. I have a tattoo that says I love ghosts even more than my shirt would suggest. And so people would always share ghost stories with me or like stuff that would spook me out. And I'm like hiding under their blankets. They're like, Jason, go home, please. But you told me a scary story. They all told me about Dyer Lane, and there's different versions of this legend. One, and some of this stuff may be true. One, of, This part probably true. Back in the 1930s, apparently, it was a meeting ground for the Ku Klux Klan. Because it is in the middle of nowhere, but it's super, super easy access. But the second you turn onto Dyer Lane, you can get away with anything. So would it be... And it's a lot of fields, at least back when I was there, it's just a lot of fields... And the road goes straight for a while. <laughs> You're like, Jason, most roads do that. Go straight for a while. There's a 90-degree turn. There's no lights out there. Then it goes straight again for quite a while. And then a 90-degree turn. Then it keeps going straight. And then 90-degree turn. And then you're back into civilization. And there were a few houses here and there, but it felt wrong. It did feel different. Now, some of that obviously suggestible. I mean, the Ku Klux Klan, they were hanging out there. It's not the most lively of spots. I actually don't know if they were ever there, but actually that does lead me to another story. I remember once this dude was harassing my boy Nick, and he was trying to fight Nick. And I'm washing my car. I'm just trying to I'm just trying to wash my car, and I hear Nick inside. This is Josh's house. He's yelling on the phone, and I'm like, "What is going on?" So I walk in there. I'm like, "Hey, Josh, what's going on?" And Nick's this guy's like, "Someone wants to beat Nick up because he was sleeping with his girlfriend or something like that." And I was like, "Dude, give me the phone. Give me the phone." I take the phone. And I just go, Dyer's Lane, 3 a.m. And dude's like, what? I go, Dyer's Lane. I go, you got a problem. Like, this, we talk all all day long. Like, this is petty. Like, let's settle it. Dyer's Lane, 3 a.m. Let's go. I'll go out there with Nick. And Nick's like, what are you doing, dude? And then the dude's like, I am not into that clan stuff. I go, me neither, dude. But but we can do what we need to do out there. Ain't no cops going to show up. It's just going to be us and you. Who who you want to bring, we're going to bring who we bring. Dyer's Lane, 3 a.m., and I just hung the phone up, and I go, can I can I finish watching my, washing my car in peace now? And sure enough, we had a party that night. We were supposed to have a party that night, and we did. And at about 2.15 a.m., we drove out there and sat out in Dyer's Lane uh, waiting for these dudes to show up. They, they never showed up. But that was the that was the reputation that place had, that, that was a clan meeting area. So in the 1930s, was there a clan meeting there? Probably. It was Sacramento in the 1930s. Your clan meetings of the Capitol building. But that stayed. And then there were stories of like serial killers in the area that you could find etchings of bodies on the ground, stuff like that. My per I had a lot of stories involving Dyer Lane. One of my personal stories was I was a pizza delivery driver for Godfathers. I was trying to remember where I left off. Pizza delivery driver got a delivery to Dyer Lane. I mentioned this before on the podcast. Pull up to this house. And the house wasn't like old Texas Chainsaw Massacre house. It wasn't falling down. It wasn't a bunch of garbage. It wasn't wasn't a great house either. Somewhere in between, if I remember correctly. And there's this young kid coming out. I'm trying to remember the exact wording that happened. But this young kid comes out to buy the pizza. And I remember we were just chit-chatting. I think we were talking about like how nice the weather had been, or I don't remember what the context was. It doesn't because everything else gets drowned out by his response, right? I remember I'm talking to him, and the guy agrees with me. Everything is going nice, and he goes, "Yeah, Satan's been good to us this year." He hands me the money, takes his pizza, and leaves. 
And I remember just standing there and realizing I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm on Dyer Lane. I'm in this dude's front yard. It's just a weird comment to make. And he didn't say it with a chuckle. He didn't say it because, oh, I know the legend's dude, son. I was just joshing you. Just a weird comment. Actually, it might have been the only time I ever delivered a pizza to Dyer Lane as well. I keep saying like it's isolated. There were houses there. But there were those houses that were farther back off the road. So you could drive down Dyer Lane and not really see them. Dyer Lane is also where I had a car. I had a Renault station wagon that was all-wheel drive. Which I thought meant four-wheel drive. This is a true story. So I took it off-roading. I took my station wagon off-roading around Dyer's Lane. and was true. Drove into a creek. The real-life horror, the real-life horror of the Ku Klux Klan, we never had any proof of that, but then you have the rumors of the serial killers and then the ghost stuff as well. People said that you could see specters on the side of the road. People said you could see specters hanging from the trees. Again, hearkening back to that Ku Klux Klan history. I had been down Diary Lane a lot, day and night, and we never saw anything specter-wise. But I actually spent a lot of time there because that was the most haunted place that I had. The most verifiably, quote-unquote, verifiably haunted place. There are legends going back decades that I had easy access to. Now, Ghost, maybe. Ku Klux Klan, most definitely in the past. Drug spot? 100%. Like when I threatened that dude, the fight thing. You could fight all day long out. You could be doing like a three-day-long marathon boxing match. No one's going to find you. It's a perfect place to set up. Perfect place to do deals. I remember once, myself, who was in the passenger seat? Might have been my boy, Hal. Me, Hal, and Jackie was in the back seat, and I was we were driving down Dyer's Lane in the middle of the night, and I had a machete in my back seat. And... We're driving down. We're all alone. We take that first 90-degree turn, and then there's another car coming towards us. Which was weird enough because no one was ever on that road. But you think, probably just another group of ghost hunters, right? And this other car is it's actually doesn't have its headlights on at this time. Which was what made me think this was a like a drug meet, right? So I'm coming down the road, and we're driving pretty slow because that first 90-degree turn is super tight. Take that 90 degree turn, driving slow. We see another car sitting in the darkness, slowly rolling towards us, no headlights on. And then the headlights kick on. It's a Sacramento Sheriff's car. And I just am staring straight ahead. And I tell Jackie, I go, hey, cover up that machete in the back seat. Because here's the thing. I don't know how the law is everywhere. First off, you shouldn't have a machete in your car. But secondly, when a police officer looks in your car... What they see can be used against you. Obviously, right? You have a bunch of like dead bodies back there. They're going to arrest you for murder. But if they don't see it, they have to get a warrant for it. So if they see a locked box down there and they suspect it has drugs, they're going to have to get a warrant. That's why they'll bring out the drug-sniffing dog and the drug the dog smells on it. Then they can have probable cause to open the box. But if they're just looking back there, they don't have probable cause to just open your car. Now, also, according to law, police officers aren't able to drive around without their headlights on. You can't do that. Super, super dangerous. Even when a cop is waiting to check for speeders when they're at like a parking lot or kind of, they have to have the parking lights on, the little yellow lights, so you're not in danger. They're supposed to. And especially in the middle of, what was this guy doing? Was he setting up a speed trap? I think the dude was making a drug drop. That dude was doing something dirty. Because he's out there waiting for someone and he thought that was us. And we just both drive by each other. I'm just looking straight ahead. I don't even look at him. I don't want to know what you look like. 
We're just driving super slow. We drive past each other. Now, see, he can't pull us over because all of a sudden now he has to fill out a police report. He has to run the plates. He has to say he's out there. And I don't want to get pulled over on Dyer Lane from some cop that's sitting there with all of his lights off. Not his parking lights, nothing. His car was a ghost. So we keep drive. We do the normal drive. The second I hit that other 90 degree turn, dude, I'm flying down the road. I want to get off Dyer Lane as quick as possible. And then when we get back to civilization, I turn around and Jackie covered up the machete to the handle. So now, instead of the machete, I go, Jackie, let me explain something to you. The reason why I wanted you to cover that up, so the police officer wouldn't know I had a machete. Now, not only do I clearly have a machete, you see the handle sticking out from underneath this towel, it looks like you're trying to hide it. Like, that's worse. If you're not trying to hide the machete, you can just go, oh, that's farm equipment. I didn't even think to hide it any more than I would think to hide a hoe or a rake. Anyways, that's a little tip to you guys who carry machetes in your car. Dyer Lane was full of a bunch of weird stuff. Man-made stuff, like drug drops, and then ghost stuff and legends and things like that. So where did the burnt pants factor into all of this? I didn't go to Center High School. I didn't hang out with Josh and Jason and Nick and all of them stuff back in the day. I went to Castle Robel across town, and that's where I hung out with my boy Steve Damewood and my boy Mauricio. We'd go ghost hunting in our adventures. That one time we saw a Civil War ghost. I told the story previously on the episode. I'll do a quick recap. Me, Steve, and Mauricio were driving out off PFE, which was oddly close to Dyer Lane. We didn't know Dyer Lane existed at this time. We saw a Civil War ghost. We saw an old man dressed in all gray clothing walking by the side of the road. And we drove by and we're screaming, ah, ah. It was a full body apparition. You know how rare these things are? We turned around. We couldn't believe our eyes. We drove past it again. It's like three in the morning. We're screaming, ah, ah, it's ghosts, ghosts. Turned around one more time. We drove even slower. And that's when we realized we were, in, we were driving next to an industrial park. He was an elderly security guard dressed up in a gray security guard uniform. Who we thought was a southerner, who we thought was a member of the Confederacy, who somehow died in California, even though there was no Confederacy there. And he was haunting this place. It was actually an elderly man who was probably getting more and more terrified because we kept driving by and screaming and pointing at him. It was also with Steve and Mauricio and my brother. We were driving through Folsom. One day, I believe I told this story as well, but I'll cover it again. We were driving through Folsom after a long night of ghost hunting. Steve was one... I'll put this episode in the show notes. Steve was one of the guys that was there the night they... I almost got in a fight with a bunch of kids. And then I went around the corner to go pee. Because nothing makes you want to urinate like after having to shut down a bunch of dorks. And they thought I was getting attacked. They heard my voice plain as day screaming for help. They came around the corner because it was outdoors. They're just peeing against someone's business. They came around the corner and I was like, yo, bro, what, what's going on? I turn, I'm peeing all over them. They go, we thought you were getting attacked. And this was in a known haunted spot as well. So this was something that imitated my voice. Steve was there. I'll put that in the show notes. That happened. There was a time in Folsom we were driving. I think it was that same night even. We were driving through a old reportedly haunted cemetery in Folsom. You never mess around in Folsom. The Folsom police officers pull you over if your light blinked out of rhythm. The Folsom Police Department, I never messed around in Folsom. I never messed around in Roseville. Because their police were just on point. I just was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Too many machetes in my car to get pulled over. Never messed around. But anyways, we were driving around Folsom and there was this old cemetery and we drove by it real slowly. And I remember this. I remember this distinctly. 
I think my my brother was in the front seat. I'm trying to remember the layout. And sitting behind him was Mauricio. And both of them don't really believe in ghosts. My brother doesn't believe in ghosts at all. And then behind me was Steve. And it's so interesting because I'm looking and I see a shadowy figure standing in the graveyard. It's really early in the morning. It's like 4 a.m. We've had a whole night of ghost hunting. I see this shadowy figure, this blob kind of standing in the graveyard. Trick of the light? Absolutely. Could it be my mind's playing trick on me? I'm up at 4 a.m. up. It's 4 a.m. Who knows? But I'm looking at it, and I remember Steve, he was also going, yeah, I can kind of see something out there. And then it rushed. It just, like, did this weird thing where it's kind of standing in the graveyard. And then in a super fast motion, it ran as fast as it could. It didn't ran. It just moved as fast as it could to the old wrought iron gate that's surrounding this graveyard. And it hits the gate and then just dissipates. Trick of the light, bird, giant bird. <laughs> Those giant birds that love to dissipate. It could have been imagination. Again, it's 4 a.m. The reason why that was so fascinating to me is both my brother and Mauricio couldn't see anything. They're like, I don't know what you're looking at. And when that thing ran and hit the fence, I didn't say, because it happened so quickly. I wasn't like, it's coming. Oh, no, one, two. I wasn't saying it happened so quickly. It moved. When that thing hit the fence, both my brother and Mauricio flinched. They didn't see it. They don't know why they did it. I'm looking at them because I'm in the driver's seat and they're, face they're closer to the fence than I am, see? I guess I left that little detail out. The way we're parked, the way we're sitting there is the passenger side is where the fence is. And when that thing hits the fence, they both flinch. I saw their reaction to it. And we started driving away and I go, dude, did you see that? And Steve's like, oh, dude, that was nuts. And they're like, oh, I didn't see anything. I, didn't th I go, why'd you guys flinch? And they had no reason to. We didn't scream or anything. It happened so fast. Well, and that, even though they didn't register it, even though they couldn't see it, their body reacted to it. Creepy stuff. I'll put that episode in the show notes about the thing imitating my voice. It's a really, really terrifying encounter as well. But let's get to the roasted meat of the matter. Let's get to the burnt pants. Like I said, I used to go to Dyer Lane a lot with myself and with other people. Sometimes we take two or three carloads down. Sometimes it'd just be me. I remember one day I was out there and I went to that first 90 degree turn and I got out of the car and I was kind of looking around for whatever, who knows, right? Found a pair of burnt pants. That's the end of the episode, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed that. No, just joking. I found a pair of burnt jeans. They were the jeans of a probably a young woman. I took them to a forensic lab. I need DNA on these pants, please. They're like, sir, how did you get in here? I, I, if I remember correctly, they were the pants of a young woman. They weren't like a little kid's pants. They weren't like my husky pants from Walmart. They're like tight jeans. They were burned. Severely burned. They were tattered and burned. You could tell that these things were in a fire. And I remember the day. I re this is so. I remember the day. Like I remember how the sun was. It was up in the sky. It was one of those days where the sun was in the sky. Just everything was crisp clouds in the sky i remember it and i remember kind of digging and i found these burnt pants now there was other garbage around people would throw out recliners and stuff like that it wasn't unheard of to find garbage there's a lot of signs up saying don't litter and those signs were riddled with bullets picked up these burnt pants and i go this is something i don't know what it is yet but these burnt pants this is something a clue am i possibly going to solve a murder is there a poor woman walking around with a burnt shirt and burnt socks and she can't find her burnt pants? I don't know. 
But I took these burnt pants and I threw them in my car. I'm driving around town with my burnt pants. And I would tell people, guys, you won't believe what I found on Dyer Lane. They're like, what? I'd hold up, hold up a pair of burnt women's pants, jeans. And they're like, what? Why do you have burnt jeans on you? And I was like, because, dude, this is weird, man. Like, when's the last time you ever saw burnt clothes? They're like, never, because I'm not a caveman. And I don't dig around in other people's trash. I go, but yeah, dude, like, what if some woman was murdered... And they were, like, burning the pants to get rid of the evidence. And then they go, then you have evidence of a murder that's not, it doesn't matter. Just get rid of them. I wouldn't. These burnt pants, there's something about these burnt pants. It was a mystery. No, I mean, also, I was also, like, playing video games and getting drunk and stuff like that. The burnt pants are sitting there. I was like, don't worry, I'll solve your crime. After this second doobie. But the, I don't actually think I was smoking weed back then, which is going to make this story even more bizarre. But the point is, is like, even if I was trying to solve this murder, I took my time doing it. But I always had these burnt pants in my car. Now, at the same time, I was still ghost hunting with my buddies. At this time, I had had a side job. And this goes into the episode about the thing imitating my voice. I had a side job where I installed signs on the side of the road for, like, housing developments. And every Friday, I had to put the signs up. And every Saturday evening, I had to take the signs back down. So I had a bunch of, like, tools in there. So I had, like, this sledgehammer. I had these uh, pointy things of wood, like these stakes of wood. Lots of twine and duct tape. And, and that's just for my job. That was just for my job. And then I also had my personal machete. I had, like, a boat oar in my trunk for beating things up for fighting Swamp Thing when I'm in a boat. I had my machete. I had a bunch of knives and stuff like that. My car was not was not the most inviting thing to ride in, but somehow people were always getting in my car. And it was a vehicle built for war and putting signs up. I had these burnt pants. Drive around with these burnt pants all the time. And we'd go on ghost hunting adventures. And I wanted more people to come to Dyer's Lane with me. I wanted to solve the mystery of the burnt pants, dude. Hey, Steve, dude, what are you guys doing this weekend? Mauricio, hey, let's go to Dyer Lane, dude. Let's solve the mystery of the burnt pants once and for all. Well, I don't know. I don't know, Jason. Maybe not. Oh, okay, fine. Go to a party. Hey, Steve, what's going on, man? Hey, long time, long time, no burn. Long time, no burn. You ready to go out to Dyer Lane and solve the mystery of the burnt pants? Oh, no, nah, dude, it's, it's, I got like finals. We're not in high school anymore. We graduated. Yeah, but I finally have decided I don't want to go to Dyer Lane. Oh, man. You're such a kidder. I'll call you next week. Hey, dude, what's going on? What's going on? Let me guess. You want to go to Dyer? Yeah, dude, let's go to Dyer Lane, man. Let's hang out. Just you, me, and Mauricio. Let's hang out at Dyer Lane. We'll solve this mystery of the burnt pants once and for all. Now, apparently, Steve and Mauricio were worried about me. And more importantly, more importantly, they were worried about themselves. Apparently I was acting really weird. I didn't know. I don't know. I thought I was acting just fine. One day, Steve, I was so insistent on Steve and Mauricio coming out to Dyer's Lane to investigate the burnt pants. That <laughs> I did not know this until years later. I laughed so hard when I heard this story. Steve goes, Remember that time you kept trying us to get us to go out and, and investigate burnt pants with you? I was like, yeah, totally. Oh, and I, I 
pull out my uh, I pull out my uh, sketchbook of all the pant all the drawings of the pants I drew. I look at my scrapbook of all my photos. I go, yeah, yeah, the burnt pants. Yeah, I don't know what happened to those. And Steve basically has a sigh of relief. He goes, well, you were so insistent on us coming out there that at one point, Steve called up Mauricio and said, hey, did Jason call you about going out to investigate the burnt pants? And Mauricio was like, yeah. And then there was kind of like a bit of dead air. And Steve goes, I think Jason's going to try to murder us. And Mauricio basically goes, I thought I was the only one who thought that. I thought Jason has been trying to murder us. <laughs> I thought Jason has been trying to get us out there to murder us for a while. I thought it was just me. And Steve's like, no, I'm pretty sure Jason is going to murder us if we go out to Dyer Lane with him. So they started having this conversation behind my back. Right? <laughs> Whenever I would call up and be like, hey, when are we going to Dyer Lane? When we, Because these are my ghost hunting bros, dude. When are we going to solve this mission? Oh, man, maybe next week. They thought I was trying to set up their execution. I was going to bring them both a pair of pants. I'm like, I got us all a pair of pants. They're like, Jason, you're just wearing your normal pants. Why'd you buy us women's skinny jeans? Just put them on. They thought I was going to murder them on Dire Lane. Steve goes, listen, dude, you got so weird for a while. Like, we started to think that those pants might have possessed you. And I'm laughing. To, I, as my buddy's saying that he feared for his life, I was laughing so hard. I was like, you really thought it was going to murder? Yes. Both of us thought you were going to murder us over these pants. You wanted to take us out there. Maybe the pants had possessed you or something like that. But they go, dude, you're acting so weird. You're acting so spooky. And then I go, you, I go, you guys really thought that, right? <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah. We really thought you were going to murder us. And then I go, but Steve, you guys did eventually go out there with me. Eventually, Steve and Mauricio got in my car and let me drive them out to Dyer's Lane to investigate the burnt pants. I go, if you thought I was going to murder you, why did you get in my car and drive out there? And he goes, because we thought you were going to murder us anyways. We thought if we didn't go, you would definitely murder us. And he said he got in that car with Mauricio, and the entire time they were terrified. They thought I was going to murder them in the middle of the night on Dyer Lane. Now, I have no idea they're thinking about it. I'm driving out, I'm making jokes, I'm singing along to Letters to Cleo, which probably isn't healthy, right? I'm all, dude, this is the best night ever, isn't it? What's your guys' favorite restaurant? <laughs> My treat, I'll treat you guys out to your favorite restaurant. You deserve it. They're like, oh... They thought they got in my car and they honestly thought I was going to murder them, but they thought I definitely would murder them if they didn't go. And so they got... <laughs> could, you, could you imagine those dudes in my car driving around after midnight to the spookiest part of Sacramento thinking they're going to get murdered by their... <laughs> and then I don't even know that. I don't even know that. We drive out there. And I think we get along with flashlights. We're walking around with flashlights. I'm like, hey, Mauricio, hand me my machete. I got to cut these weeds down, please. We look around. I, the investigation for the burnt pants. I'm not a police officer. So basically, when I want to investigate the burnt pants, I would just go back to where I found the burnt pants and look for more evidence. I want a whole outfit before I go to the police. But we hung out in Dyer Lane for a bit. Saw nothing super spooky. I was the spooky one that night, right? They legit thought they were going to have to try to fight me off. And I hate to break this to them. They wouldn't have won. They wouldn't have won. Like, if, if I if they 
turned around at some point, and I had put the burnt pants, I'm wearing them like a mask. Even, even with obstructed vision. Sorry, Steve. Sorry, Mauricio. It wouldn't... I, we we all we all know I have more fight experience, but maybe if I had pants on my head, I wouldn't have been able to see him. But I didn't kill him. This isn't a veiled confession. I didn't fake Steve as my newest Patreon supporter so I could get this off my chest. I didn't ever murder them. We all got back in the car and we drove back and we probably went to Caro's or Denny's and I probably laughed talking with a mouthful of bacon burger about some nonsense. And they probably must have felt this total sense of relief that their friend from high school hadn't actually been possessed by a pair of pants and murdered them. But can you imagine that, Terry? Like, they honestly, like, they were having conversations leading up to this, saying, I think Jason's going to murder us. And they felt they still had to get in that car. Could you imagine that level of terror? The burnt pants show up in one other story. And it's almost like if I get my comeuppance on this one. I'm going to leave a lot of details out of this story. But I do have to say this. The police were looking for me for something I did not do. The police were looking for me. I did not do this crime. It's, it's, it's actually a super minor crime, but it involves like this stuff. It's not, it wasn't even a big thing, but the police were, you're like, Jason, the police don't look for you for a minor thing. They do. Police look for you for all sorts of stuff. Anyways, it wasn't this super serious thing, but it involves a friend of mine and I don't want to blow their spot up. And I was thinking about a way to tell the story without really involving them. And it just got too messy. So, but I was totally innocent. I committed no crime, wasn't even arrested. However, the cops were looking for me, and I was driving through Sacramento late at night all by myself. There's a cop car behind me. This was off. Uh, this was over by American River College. I'm driving. It's probably 1 or 2 in the morning. I just enjoy driving around. I don't have a car anymore, and it's probably good because I get more work done. There's a cop behind me. Now, no one likes cops behind him. Not even other cops like cops behind him. We're at a stoplight. Now, the cops won't ever turn their lights on while you're at the stoplight because it gives you a chance to think. They wait till your car's in motion, then flick the lights on. They really don't even flick them on when you're in the intersection, when you have all these different options. They wait till you're on straightaway. They flick their lights on. But there's a cop behind me. I'm like, okay, whatever. It's not the most pleasant experience, but whatever. So the light turns green. I start to drive. The cop is turning with me. Still, he has a one in four chance. There's four directions he can go in. It makes sense. I'm not super... Paranoid at this point, I drive a block up and there's another cop and I go, these cops are 100% here for me. The second I saw two in the area, I was like, 100% they're here for me. And they light me up at the exact same time and I just pull into this restaurant. It's this restaurant right off the I-80 off ramp. It's over by the A&W in that area. It wasn't at the A&W. There was like a, a Denny's or something there that I pulled into that parking lot and it was just very calm. You know, I get pulled over by the police. I've been mouthy to police before, but I, I don't recommend it. I pull into this crowded parking lot, which is where you want to be because you want a bunch of witnesses on your site as well. Pull in this parking lot. The police pull in and they box me in. So I'm at a parking spot and they actually come in behind me so I can't move. Police officer walks up to me and starts asking me questions. And I immediately know what what they're here for. And I immediately know I didn't do anything wrong. I immediately know this is a complete misunderstanding. I don't want to blow up my friend's spot and get them involved in this story. But the police start asking me these questions about this person. And I was like, no officer, no officer, no officer. And I'm saying all this stuff. And no matter what I answer, the information is slightly different than what it should be. It was super, oh, it was so aggravating. It was so aggravating. I... But anyways, again, I was 100% innocent of what I was being accused of doing. The cops 
would walk up, put the light in my face, ask me a couple questions. No, sir. No, sir. No, sir. He'd go back, verify it. He'd come back to me and go, well, this piece of information was wrong. I was like, listen, just start making the phone calls, dude. You know who to call. Like, it's not me. I didn't do nothing. This goes on for an hour. It's the middle of the night. No one's picking up their phone. And I'm sitting there in that car. And the other car, there's two cop cars. Like I said, the other car, while the one officer's interviewing me, the other dude is shining his flashlight in my back seat, and he's looking. He's looking at my back seat. And I remember sitting there, and the two cops, they walk away. They're just walking back and forth. I'm sitting there, and I go. Now, remember, I was working for this job where I was putting signs up on the side of the road. I did have weapons in my car, but you couldn't see those, right? They're they're underneath the floorboard. I had the I think the machete was in the trunk at this point, but this is what you could see. Someone could walk up in my car, and they could obviously see this sledgehammer, rope, duct tape, and a pair of burnt pants. Clearly visible. Clearly, clearly visible. And I remember sitting in my car. I was fuming. I was fuming. Because I knew that what these cops were saying wasn't true, and it wasn't true. Someone was running their mouth, and that situation got taken care of. I'm sitting there, and I remember this thought when the second cop is looking at my back seat. <laughs> we went back to the car. I remember, I remember sitting there, and I go, I'm not going to jail tonight for what I'm being accused of. But I'm probably going to jail tonight. Because there is no way, there is no way a law enforcement officer is going to look in the back seat and see a sledgehammer rope, duct tape, and a pair of burnt pants and let me drive away. I was there for an hour. All the necessary phone calls were made. Everything was dropped. As I knew it would be. Because I didn't do nothing wrong. Again, I don't want to blow up people's spot. It was a super minor, ridiculous story, and I'm I'm almost making it sound more serious than it was. It wasn't. But these cops, they pulled me over, and they didn't arrest me. Despite the fact I had what's normally known as a serial killer kit in the backseat of my car. Now, it could have been because I was super polite to those officers. Despite the fact that I was clearly a serial killer. But I like to thank the burnt pants. I like to thank the burnt pants. Maybe there was the spirit of the burnt pants. You know what, Jason? You rescued me from just laying on the side of Dyer Lane until I turned into nothing but fibers and birds used me to make nests. Which actually, that sounds kind of cool. You should have left me there. But you have treated me so nicely and you've shown me off to all your friends. Some of them thought you were going to murder them. That I am going to magically use my burnt pant powers to make these police not take you to jail. Because again, what I was being accused of was nothing. It was actually a nothing thing and I didn't do it. And it was all sorted out. It was super minor. But I figured I was still going to go to jail. Because obviously it looked like I had done something far more serious than I had been accused of doing. So that was all settled. So that's the end of the burnt pants story. The little pair of jeans found on the side of a haunted road. On a whirlwind adventure. But the question is. Was I really acting weird during that time period? Was I possessed. By the burnt jeans? Now obviously I wasn't so possessed. That I was murdering people. But what if I was just. What if I was just a little possessed? It would be an interesting thing. Because I felt totally normal. The whole time. I didn't feel like I was doing anything different. Than I would normally do. 
a lot of my friends I was hanging out with didn't notice anything, but Steve and Mauricio actually thought the pants may have possessed me or driven me crazy, or I just finally unlocked some lunatic personality of mine. Is that what being possessed is like? Do you not know a difference? Do you not know you're acting weird? You think everything's just fine? You think life is totally normal until you realize you're covered in the blood of your loved ones? Because if that's the case, if that's what I'm not saying I was possessed, but if that's what possession does feel like, you would never know to seek help. You would never know something was wrong. And that's terrifying. Imagine you'd be scared and in horror because something has possessed you. Something's controlling your body. But what if you didn't even know anything was wrong until it was too late? You wouldn't even know to pick up the phone and call the exorcist. Or to go to your spiritual leader. Or to even just seek mental health counseling. You would just live your life until your life had changed irreparably. You never once questioned that you may be possessed. But after that one unforgivable act, you spend the rest of your life wondering, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? There's a road like Dyer Lane in almost every city around the world. Are you brave enough to explore it? Are you brave enough to find your own burnt pants? Will they lead you down a funny adventure where your friends think they're going to murder them? Or will you be the one that actually gets possessed? That dark and lonely road outside of your town may be the key to an adventure or to a lifetime of pain. Are you brave enough to explore it? DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, and I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. <laughs> 